Good to see everybody here this morning, and welcome. We're glad you're here. It's going to be a special day for us as we go through the installation of uh, installing our new elders this morning, so we're excited about that. Uh, we do have a few announcements that you'll see there in the bulletin. I won't spend time going through a lot of those. Um, you will see that we've started up our men's study, and so we invite you men if you want to come on Wednesday nights. Uh, we're doing a study through Second Samuel, so we appreciate you coming and sharing and spending time together with us uh, as well. Um, but also, you'll see in the prayer requests, several of those, we've continually to list those. I do want to mention that uh, Dan has contacted me. We've worked with him, and he is home from surgery, and he is going to have to go back in and have some more surgery later in March. Um, but he was feeling a little relief, and so we'll keep in touch with him and fill you in. But as you go through these prayer requests, just know uh, that as you share them with us, if you want us to, we will share them with everyone else. If not... Uh, we still appreciate you sharing on the blue card that's there in the pew so that we can pray for you and your family as well. But we'd also like you to fill that card out if you're visiting with us. If you're just here visiting, we'd love to have a record of your visit. It gives us an opportunity to reach out to you and to share with you. And if there's any way that we can minister to you or your family, we would love to do that. So please take an opportunity as well, uh, if you can, to fill that card out as we go forward. But let's take a moment this morning. The service is a little different. We've got a little thing changed so that we can get everything in. So please pay attention and follow along. We've tried to put it out there for you, um, but we'll do the best we can. But let's, let's begin by going to the Lord in prayer. I'll lead us, and if you would join me in the Lord's prayer, you'll see it right here in your bulletin for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we pray again that your Holy Spirit would just guide and direct us. Uh, Lord, that as we gather together to worship you, it's in response to you calling us. The Lord, worship is about us responding. It's about you seeking us to find those who will worship in spirit and truth. And Lord, we pray for the families that are out this morning. Uh, Lord, we have those that are not feeling well. We have some that are traveling. Uh, Lord, we still pray for those who have been in Florida uh, and visiting for the summer and Lord, we just pray that you'll bring us all back together uh, safely and securely. Lord, as we lift one another up in prayer, Lord, help us to also be uh, useful in service if need be, that we not just pray for people, but that we're able to reach out and to help them. Uh, Lord, I pray this morning uh, for a blessing on these men who have come and responded to the call, and that, Lord, as they begin to serve the church, that they can faithfully uh, go forward and lead and uh, to do what it is that we learn about this morning in leadership. Uh, Lord, I pray for our church that you'll continue as they come to lead, that we'll use our gifts as individuals and support them, but to not just support them to do the work, but the Lord to, to use our gifts and to do the work of the church and to continue to minister. And Lord, all of this in hopes that we can defeat Satan, knowing that he's always... Uh, prowling around like a lion seeking to devour or slithering like a snake trying to uh, catch us and keep us captive. Lord, I just pray this morning that when we finish this service, we're able to know the importance of a church and its proper workings. And Lord, I know again we don't deserve the right to ask these things. Uh, we haven't done anything in our own abilities that would commend us for you to even listen or to come to us. But yet, Lord, you made it obviously through your son, Jesus Christ, that you wanted to be in a right relationship with us and that you were willing to do it at any cost. And Lord, through him, your son, Jesus, we now have the opportunity where the veil has been torn, where we can come into your presence, boldly praying together, saying, 
Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let me call us to worship. If you're able to stand with me, it comes from Hebrews 12, 28. We've been studying through Hebrews. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of giving, to give a portion back to you of what you've given to us to take care of and be good stewards of. We pray, Lord, that you would steward these offerings, these tithes, Lord, for the furthering of your kingdom and for the glory of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. to have you remain standing for our confession of faith, which is from the Belgian Confession. Our Dutch brothers and sisters gave us this one. So let's all read together. We believe that ministers of the word of God, elders and deacons ought to be chosen to their offices by a legitimate election of the church with prayer in the name of the Lord and in good order as the word of God teaches. So everyone must be careful 
not to push himself forward improperly, but he must wait for God's call so that he may be assured of his calling and be certain and sure that he is chosen by the Lord. Moreover, to keep God's holy order from being violated or despised, we say that everyone ought, as much as possible, to hold the ministers of the word and elders of the church in special esteem because of the work they do and be at peace with them without grumbling, quarreling, or fighting. Amen. Let's now use this prayer of confession, which is printed for us in the bulletin. Spirit of God, come bend us, break us, till humbly we confess our need. Then in your tenderness remake us, revive, restore, for this we plead. O breath of love, come breathe within us, renewing thought and will and heart. Come, love of Christ, afresh to win us. Revive your church in every part. O heart of Christ, once broken for us, tis there we find our strength and rest. Our broken, contrite hearts now solace, and let your waiting church be blessed. Amen. And we have this wonderful assurance of pardon from Titus 3. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters, as you look to Jesus, that he is the source of your forgiveness, my forgiveness, and the source of every good thing that he is doing and will continue to do in us for the glory of his name. Amen. You may be seated here this morning, and I hope you brought your Bibles with you so that you could follow along as we studied this morning a little bit about what it means to be involved in leadership. Uh, every time a church has an opportunity to add new elders, it's always a blessing. For some of you who've been visiting with us for a while, you may not realize that uh, this is the first time we will actually be bringing on elders since we've been here. We went through the pandemic, and We've lost some elders that have rotated off, and we lost Jeff Shields uh, to go be with the Lord. And little by little, we have gotten down to where just recently two more rotated off. And if any more rotate off, you, it will be anarchy because we are down to just the few. And uh, so great timing. Our deacons as well. Uh, we'll have some a deacon today even being examined, and later we'll have hopefully some deacons coming on to help. But I remind everyone as we're going forward that officer election and ordination in the PCA, I remind you, is for life. Believe it or not, when you're ordained in the PCA, it's not something that you just try out for a term and then decide it's not for you, and then you just don't do it anymore. Now, many churches don't practice it. It's in our BCO, and most people don't try because we love having people there. But some people don't realize that when you're an officer of the church, if you just decide you don't want to serve anymore, the elders actually get together and actually have to say, okay, let's dissolve the relationship you have with the church because if you're no longer going to be ordained, they're the ones that ordained you. They're the ones that brought you in. So if you're not going to continue serving, they do give you a path 
So for those of you who are there, I'm not picking on you this morning, but there is a path that says you can actually retire, become an elder emeritus and, or a deacon emeritus. It gives you a chance to honorably be retired as an officer of the church and yet not have to be involved in the regular weekly meetings. But for most people, they don't realize that when you're ordained to the office in the church, it's for life. And so if you ever transfer to another PCA church, you don't ever have to be reordained because the church as a whole recognizes you to uphold the purity and peace wherever you are in the church. So please remember this morning that as we celebrate installing some of our elders, two of them have already been ordained and we won't reordain them. We'll pray for them. We'll we'll give them the vows that they can retake in front of you. But then we'll have one who will be ordained this morning, uh, Brother Ted. And so we will invite anyone who is a ruling elder or a teaching elder that's been ordained to help lay hands on him. You're allowed to do that so that we show the, the corporate unity of the ordination. So turn in your Bibles, I will, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Many of you know this passage. I won't try to parse every word and go through every detail. That's not my goal this morning. I'll let you go through all of the details, but we also have not only 1 Timothy 3, but Titus chapter 1, which is another section of the qualifications for elders. But before we read some of this, let me give you a little bit of a background before we go. This morning as we install people, I wanted to do more of understanding the leadership rather than just giving you a passage of scripture that says this is what we should preach on Though we know the qualifications of elder this morning, there are many things that we need to understand, is that is that everything rises and falls with leadership. Homes rise and fall with leadership. Businesses rise and fall with leadership. Churches rise and fall with leadership. I've shared the story before uh, with others that pierced me, and I always forget the name. I think it's Remember the Titans. When I have shared with so many people before, as I first watched that movie, and I think someone told me it was set in a series here in Virginia somewhere. They know where it was from. It was back in the time in which the schools were being integrated for the first time, and football players were being meshed together. And if you remember watching that movie, you had the, the left side and the strong side of linebackers, and they worked through this ability to come together, and as they got into their own little tiff and fit together, they began to argue and I'm going to use colors because I forget their names. I think one was Bertaw, if I remember right. But anyway, the white linebacker looks to this black linebacker who they've been integrating over time, and he says, the problem with you is you have a bad attitude. And the guy looks back at him, and the black guy turns to the white guy, and he said, let me tell you this, attitude reflects leadership. And oh, did that pierce me. Because, folks, the truth of it is, when you're in the leadership position, everything that happens around you is your responsibility. And when things go bad, do you know who that reflects on? The leadership. And when things are being celebrated, who wants to try to take responsibility? The leadership. But what we don't realize is that all of that is made possible because those two linebackers who were wanting the team did not realize they did not make the whole team. And I think to even prove a great point, the author probably didn't even mean it, but one of the linebackers got hurt and couldn't even play in the championship to try to win. 
It was up to the whole team to overcome. And churches are just like that. We have leadership, and we have levels of leadership, and we have all kinds of leadership. Being an elder is only one aspect of leadership, and there's ruling elders within the church, and ruling elders are elected by you. These are the men you have chosen to lead you and to guide you and to keep the purity and peace within the flock and to also teach and to also be an example. But we also have teaching elders, one not above the other. Nick and I would be considered teaching elders because we have a special calling by God that says we want to spend our lives focused on teaching the Word of God. It takes extra preparation. We have Phil in our church who is a ruling elder but is actually going through ordination process and his special calling to not only be a missionary and to teach but to be a teaching elder, to follow that calling in which he will spend extra time and effort to be in the Word of God so that no matter where we go, leadership can be demonstrated to a world. But ruling elder, teaching elder, we call it parity, plurality. One is not above the other. We have deacons who have been ordained. And though the ordination to deacon board and the ordination to eldership are different, we work together with one not more important than the other. You see, everything rises and falls with leadership, but yet the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us these different gifts. Think about this with elders and deacons and members. We are told in the book of Ephesians that there are gifts to be given for pastors and teachers, for those who are going to be elders. We also have the gifts of administration and service for those who are going to be deacons. Most churches that I've been a part of, I'll tell you, it's not long when the elders are established as a church planter. One of the first things we have to have is a session. And when you don't have your own, you have to borrow one, believe that or not, if you've never done this before. You don't just go out and do your own thing. We did it, we used to, they called it evangelists. But we had to come up with our own elders. Until then, we had a borrowed session which meant the churches around us each would give us an elder, and that would make up our session until we trained up our own elders. And then once we would get those elders, it wouldn't be long until those men would be crying out to me and say, well, you know, now that we got our session going, now we need to get what? Go ahead, say it. Deacons. If you don't realize it, folks, it's the deacons, because, folks, a lot of times the elders are dealing with completely different things. It's the deacons that are entrusted with so much, and yet sometimes we see the deacons down here, and then they step up to becoming elders later on, and then one day maybe become a teaching elder, and, and that's not scriptural. The scripture is the Holy Spirit has gifted all of us to do the work of ministry. He's a gifted you as a member. You may not be called to be a deacon, and I will tell you this, the church is run by women. Oh, I knew that would make some of you happy. I remember debated all the times in the world. We wrestle with it all the time. Here, coming up in our session meeting, we have a proposal by the women's ministry of uniting the compassion team of the women with the deacon team. I've already talked with Tristan some about that because they're saying, why is it that we have some deacons trying to do this and a whole women's team doing this? Why can't the men and the women just come together and be one team? And obviously, I said to myself, well, sure. Because why can men and women not work together? You don't have to be in an ordained office to be able to serve. Women, I'm sorry that it gets out that way. I'm sorry that sometimes the image becomes that this church doesn't like women because we can't ordain them and we don't esteem them in leadership, but I promise you this, 
I've yet to hear one person on the male side, ladies, say anything negative about the women who are in our church. And I would bet most of them would say, though they go in the direction we're supposed to, it's because the wives have told them which direction to go. <laughs> you might be the head of your family, but I've heard so many say, but my wife is the neck. And we go, I've told you the story. I run everything in my house. I've made it clear. I run the vacuum, the dishwasher, the sewing machine. And now my wife's going like this. No, he doesn't. <laughs> Folks, leadership is the understanding that it is not about power. It's about organization and structure to allow God to accomplish what is needed in his church. And we all fail. We all fall. Please don't think that because you have elders, they're perfect. Please don't think that because we've installed them, they're not going to make mistakes. Please don't think that we're not going to do something that we didn't realize at the time we did it was going to have the effects that it had. Please don't think that when we made a decision, it was the decision we thought we ought to have for life. One of the blessings of having older elders and younger elders is the fact that you have a chance to what we do in the scriptures called discipleship. Because you have those men who sit on a session who have made some crazy mistakes going through life. And then when the younger ones make those mistakes, rather than having to, to hinder or to hurt or to complicate, you have the opportunity for the elderly ones to be able to say, oh, listen, man, I can't be the first one to throw a stone. Because when I was your age, I did the same thing. I've even made worse mistakes than that. You see, what makes that eldership so important or that deacon board so strong is that you work together using the wisdom and the youthfulness and the excitement of everybody that's apart. And then what makes the church so strong is that you as people don't just give it to the elders and deacons to do the work. You realize just how important it is that we need you to do the service God's called you to do. If you were to look at our church on an average Sunday morning and you said to yourself, okay, where's all the elders and deacons they're serving? Have you picked them out yet? Because I would venture to say that most of the time you're greeted by somebody that's not necessarily an elder or deacon. Most of the time the songs that are being led are not by elders and deacons. Now the preaching, I promise you, is almost always by a teaching elder. And you probably wish it wasn't. But I will tell you, the Sunday school teachers are not just deacons and elders. If you don't think the women aren't important in the discipleship process, I will remind you men that it is nothing more important than when a man shows up in a small child's classroom, the effect you have on that room. Children hunger for the leadership of men so that children get a chance to see that even men love being in the church, that even men love teaching children. Man, in our church, it's been a blessing. Matt does teach. Nick does teach. Phil has taught. I know Zach's been in the rooms. My son Andrew has been with the kids' programs. It's nothing like having helpers. Our youth, we've now tapped in. I know Wally is down there. I know Tristan is down there. Sean is down there. Folks, you want to know why at times the churches are doing well? It's because it's not run by the elders and deacons on a daily basis. It's run by the people in the church by the gifts that God's given you. 
So as we speak about leadership this morning, it's because we all have these gifts that have been given to us. Because you've heard it said before that a church is not an organization, it's an organism. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Oh, I would be the first to tell you, you're right, we're an organism, we're a live being, we're a body, we're put together, we're not an organization. But I will tell you this, Warren Wearsby one time said the same thing when he was writing. He simply said it this way, even though we're an organism, we still need to be organized. We still need to be organized. We still need to know how things work and why things work. And that's why we install people to help us. If you're not organized, you're going to die. So leadership is this wonderful part of spiritual organizations from elders, deacons, the church. Folks, it's this communicating of eldership and leadership to a community that's hurting is what makes the church stand out. And you know what's so sad? Is the world is just waiting for the church's leadership to what? To fall. That's the pressure when you're elected to serve. The world wants you to fall so they can raise themselves up to be equal. Oh, Satan has his ways. And all of a sudden we realize, look at chapter 3, Timothy, let me just read. I'm going to let the scripture speak for itself. I won't go into all the words, that's unnecessary. But it says this, the saying is trustworthy, 1 Timothy 3. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with the dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil." Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, you could flip over just a couple pages to Titus chapter 1, and in fairness, let me read this just for those of you who didn't know it. Titus 1.5, listen to the similarities that Paul writes This is why I left you in Crete, verse 5, so that you might put what remained into order. Appoint elders in every town as I have directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer has God's steward, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must uh, must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Wow, what an amazing, in two short sections, to hear the importance of what we are as elders as we install them. The, the word that is used for elder, episkopos, is also the same word we get, not because it's our denomination, but the word presbyterion. It's the word that is used later on in chapter 4. It's the word that also is many times translated overseer, bishop, or as presbyterian, eldership. 
Folks, when people ask what our church believes, please don't tell them we believe in Presbyterianism. Presbyterianism is not doctrinal truths. Presbyterianism is the structure of our church. Presbyterianism is because we believe that a church ought to be run by what? Elders. If they want to know what we believe, take them to the confession of faith. Take them to our catechisms. More importantly, take them to the what? To the scriptures. But we're Presbyterian because we're Presbyterian that we are led by a congregation of elders. So here, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he gives us these things. I'm going to summarize them if I can as we go through. I'll put them in categories that I've done many times before in classes. If you've heard them before and I've done things in our training classes, I apologize. Maybe you'll get a little bit more out of it. Um, But Presbyterianism is the mark of spiritual leadership, of growing together in eldership to find the ones who want to show off experience. Can I put it that way? You know when a person has become right with the Lord in the future is they've overcome things because they look at their life more as a testimony than as a reward. You can share the things that have happened in your life not because you're proud of them, not because you want to boast about them, but you're able to talk about them because you understand the grace of Christ and that all of us go through that. If you look at Paul's life in general, he went from being a sinner to being a bad sinner to being the worst of sinners as he grew. I can honestly testify with Paul. Every church I've ever been in, I've had to face things I've never faced before. Sometimes they break my heart. Sometimes they... occupy my mind sometimes they belabor my spirit and yet I look back and I constantly think Lord it's because I'm still being taught I'm still being shown the truths and I'm still having to grow up because when it comes to spiritual maturity I got a long way to go I can surely look at some people around me in my life and think I'd sure like to be like them how come I can't understand things like they do How come they're so gracious? How come they're able to just forgive? How can they just oversee these things and trust so well? I want to be like them. And if I was, do you know what they'd tell me? Then continue going through what you're going through. Because that's how I got where I am today. There's no one in the ranks of military. When we talk about submission, that's what it's all about. It's about a word related to rank. When we talk about submission in the home, it's about rank. It's not about authority. It's not about who's better. But you can't have anyone that is in the military who's just starting expect to become that one they want to be without going through all the trials and the things they're going to have to go through to get there. No one would want their captain if we were in the Navy or a colonel, if you were in other branches, to be someone who was just given the rank for the heck of it. You want that person that's leading you into the battle to be the one that has been trained, that's been put down, that's had to wrestle through it, that's had to overcome, that's made the same mistakes because, because they've made it. You can now find confidence that you can make it because they can maybe keep you from certain things, protect you from certain things, watch over you in certain things. Leadership is more than just being in charge. Now, this morning, I encourage you, the men who come before you, the men who are already before you, covet your prayers. 
It's hard work. And I say this gently for most elders. We're so caught up in the works of the world because we have to be that not only are we running careers in a worldly sense, we're trying to balance the ministries in the spiritual sense. And oh, the toll that that can take on a family. The toll that that can take on a person. But oh, we begin to realize it's all about developing character. It's not about this work and this desire in the person. It's about the office itself. The goal is to develop character, those characters that we just listed. And so let me give them to you now in summary fashion. First and foremost, these characteristics, all of them I'm talking about in Timothy. I'll help you a little bit. What does it take to develop the right character? First and foremost, an elder with a godly character must have faith. He must realize where his faith is as he goes forward. It says it's trustworthy to saying that the overseer must be above reproach. It's the beginning of the list. It's where it starts. That's the standard. Isn't it amazing that what we're asking you to be as an elder is that we want you to be above reproach. It's almost as though, okay, wait, you're asking me today to just jump up to being way up here? And that that's God's standard, not ours. No one just jumps to be above reproach and perfect in every way, never makes mistakes, never said something they shouldn't, never gone somewhere they didn't need to be. Folks, but that's the standard. It's not my standard. It's God's standard. Our goal is to have a character above reproach. But isn't it amazing as you look down through it, at the end of the list, he begins to tell us in verse 6, we must not be a recent convert. Because very few recent converts are going to be what? Above reproach. But we have to be careful Because yes, when Jesus saves us, he changes us, he remakes us, we're new creations. But as Paul said, for so long, man, our bodies wrestle. What our mind wants to do, our body doesn't. What our body does, our mind doesn't want it to do. We wrestle with it constantly, and you've got to understand how in the world it's going to grow and how we're going to feed it, how we're going to change it. But the goal of eldership is to not put people as recent converts in, because then what happens is you you have to overcome a whole lot of things that you wouldn't have to do if you started with people that were already mature in many ways. I can honestly tell you this morning, I've spent almost six months regularly praying for and working through some men of deacons and eldership. I've been in their homes. I've listened to them. We've shared our beliefs. We've shared our households. We've shared our hurts. And I can honestly tell you I'm excited about the men who are coming before you this morning. Men who have experience. Men who have issues in their families. Men who have hurts that need to have prayer. Men who've been through struggles and are still serving the Lord. But we give you character men who are still serving the Lord, who have come before the Lord, grasped what it is God wants for them and are being used by God to help lead the church. 
The only task we have that most people focus on is the task that you must be able to teach. I've heard that so many times, that the thing that separates the elder from the deacon and everybody else is they must be apt to teach. And that is true. That's God's standards. We need to be able to teach. But folks, that doesn't just mean theological truth. The whole point of Timothy is about character. It's about teaching character. It's about teaching truth. It's about teaching how to handle experiences. Everything that we have here is about getting people to grow in the Christian life. And folks, I say this gently. I have a degree in Bible and Greek at a bachelor level. And I went on to do my evangelism from the Billy Graham School at Southern Seminary in my master's level. And I worked on doing evangelism and discipleship church planting at the doctoral level. I don't have a PhD in that. I'm a doctorate of ministry. I think I shared with someone one time, I'm glad I don't have a PhD. Someone said, what does a PhD stand for? Do you know what that stands for? That's what a PhD is. Because when it comes to the Christian life, it's not the academic level that makes you a good character. You can be as smart as you want to be and still not be the man of God you're supposed to be. I promise you, my education at times is more hurtful than helpful. Let me confess to you this morning that sometimes your pastor, as he has grown, it's been 30 years, but I can honestly tell you as a young pastor growing up and being educated young quickly and going through school quickly, my education was more hurtful than helpful. Because there would be times people would say something and I would get frustrated with them and they would want to showcase themselves and what they thought they was better and I didn't agree with it and I would use my education to what? To whip them. To make them feel like, well, you don't even know what you're talking about. Let's take this to a whole another level. Let's talk about those, as I said before, those soteriological implications and that scatological atonement and what happens when the unredeemed and the unrighteous need to be sanctified and glorified so they can get to the position where God's... And they're like, oh, what? Oh, it makes me feel good, right? Because I can throw big words, throw big theology. What I didn't realize is Satan would be in the background going, yeah, keep going. Just keep going, pastor. This is exactly what I want is a pastor who wants to fight just like the world. Because, boy, if I can get you to do it, and I can get the whole church to do it, man, I'm going to win. And, boy, was I humbled when I realized, Lord, change my character. It's not about education. It's about what God's called you to be. So all of a sudden, we realize it is about our faith. It's about teaching the Christian life. I'm asking you, mothers, you probably do more than the fathers do when you're teaching your children, when you're reading them the storybooks and you're going through the catechisms. Are you more interested in them regurgitating truth or are you wanting them to understand life, what it means to follow Christ, what it means to follow him, what it means to be saved, what it means to be chosen by God and to be a servant of the Lord? I encourage you, Renounce ungodliness. That's why we have elders. That's chapter 2, 11 in Titus. It's the ungodliness we're dealing with. It's not only about your faith. He also says it's about your family. Listen to the characteristics. There's many of them in there. We're supposed to be faithful to our wife, the husband of the wife, to be 
uh, compassionate and caring to her, to manage our household wells, to keep our children, again, not being, if you wish, insubordinate. Folks, where is it in your life that your character needs to grow most? It's in the home we need the most leadership, not in the church. Folks, I'm one of those crazy pastors. Believe it or not, I have a very uneducated family. I was the first in my entire family to ever go to college. I don't come from a history of education. I don't come from a history of Christianity. I didn't have a godly father to help me make decisions. I didn't have a godly brother that was older than me to lean on. I didn't have those things in my life. I became a pastor before I ever became a deacon, before I ever served as an elder. I was one of those in Timothy 4, 1, 2, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth, but in all things, be an example. I had to trust that God was going to take me in the direction he wanted me, but I didn't have all that behind me. Today, we live in the churches where we should have parents who our children have that. Dads, I can only encourage you, before you ever want to be an elder in the church, be an elder in your home. Be an elder in your home. I'm as guilty as any that I can minister to every one of your needs and neglect the very own ones in my own home. That's not good leadership. That's not good leadership. Oh, we need your help. We all need our faith to grow. We need our families to come first, to be able to be sober-minded within them and to work together when issues come up to have self-control, to be able to teach and to be hospitable and to be able to help one another, to realize how hard it really is to work together in unity and peace. Folks, if the home is supposed to be the picture of the church, you can see today why the church is in such shambles around the world. Because if you see what's happening in our homes, that's what we're bringing to the church. Oh, we've got to be a light. We've got to change the system and provide true leadership, even in our family. But it's not just about our faith and our family. It's about our friendships. The Bible says that right here. You've got to be well thought of by others. It's about your witness. I've had so many people in 30 years of ministry say, well, you can't tell me to do that. I believe you can be saved and do that. It used to be years ago. I grew up in a Baptist background, and you weren't allowed to smoke, dance, chew, kiss the girls that do, all those kind of things that went around with it. There was a lot of regulations that you couldn't have. Oh, you can't tell me I'm not a Christian just because I smoke. You can't tell me just because I drink, I do. You can't tell me that's good. And I would have to learn to say this. It's not about whether or not you're saved. It's about whether or not you're being a witness. It's about whether or not you're being a witness. Your salvation has been settled. It's done in Jesus Christ. He saved you. You've been made righteous with him. But your witness must continue the rest of your life. Do you have a good reputation with the people outside the church? Or better yet, do you even have any relationships with people outside the church? 
You see, that's what it is about being eldership. It's not hiding yourself. It's not secluding yourself from the world. It's not trying to run from the things that are happening. It's about being a leader to them. And so let me push on quickly. It's not just about being outside. It's also finally, he says this, as James would say, I'll show you my faith by my what? Works. Not talking about salvation. And finally, he says this. I'll summarize it is, not only do you have to have your faith in order, your family in order and your friendships, your witness in order, but your finances. Do not be a lover of money. I can say it in a succinct statement and be done. You can't have two masters. You can't serve both God and money. Oh, I could tell you sometimes even in my own heart, in recent days, how money creeps in. I won't belabor the whole point, but I was given another baby sheep to bottle feed the other day, half a day old, by Dan Little. He was having surgery. He couldn't take care of the sheep. We just lived down the street, so we got a baby sheep. We've been bottle feeding for a week. Got sick. It's normal. It was jumping up and hopping, following me through the house, act like a pet. It's been roaming through my life. Rolled over to die one day next. Laid there limp, legs folded out, about ready to quit. Couldn't stand it because we've been bottle feeding this thing more than we did our own children. And so we've gotten this thing together, put it back up, called the doctor, thanked the Lord for the doctor, got the antibiotics that we needed, got her back home, got a vet across the street. We've had to see her twice already. Needless to say, I've put some money into this thing. <laughs> I'm not happy about it. I'm just going to tell the church. I will confess my sin right now. A lover of money is coming out in me because my heart knew the right thing to do and the vets knew the right thing to do. But if I don't get 27 chops that are a certain size <laughs> that I can feed my family, my mind's not thinking right. And I had to sit down and say to myself, even over a baby lamb that is now up and going, we've named it, probably never eat it, Is, the, is money that important? Was it more important to not show how this works, demonstrate how things go, to let the children have time to care and to feed and to nurture and to learn about life even in the face of death at moments? Yet, even then, you can be a lover of money. You gotta have your faith in line. You've got to have your family focused. Man, you've got to have your friendships. And you've, you cannot focus on your finances. Good elders will not make decisions in churches on the sole reason of whether or not there's money. We walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray. Father, bless us as we go. A day that we ask for patience as we work through this, as we recognize our gentlemen, as we share together as a church, as we learn together from one another, as we humbly come before you. Lord, it's hard to be a leader, to deal with issues, to know you have to do the things that need to be done. And yet, Lord, sometimes we try to take the credit for the good when we know it's all yours. Lord, I ask that as we prepare to install these elders, that you will automatically just bathe it in prayer. 
Take this as only the first step of us trusting one another to follow you, the great shepherd of all. Forgive us where we've sinned, Lord. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I've asked uh, during this installation service, if you've never been a part of one, we invite you to stay for just a moment. It won't take real long. We spend more time praying and taking some vows, but I've asked each of our elders to pray for new elders, and so they'll come up as we need them. Um, but I'm going to ask the three gentlemen, if I could, if Bruce, Larry, and Ted would please come up here and stand. We are going to go through a process of ordination for Ted and yet just the installation of the other two. We've already asked you to vote, and you have voted. You read our statement. We did it in an orderly fashion. I think you made a good choice. I can run faster than every one of them. <laughs> and so as they make their way up here, I have asked in the future in a moment that as we pray for them, that Woody, uh, one of our elders, Woody Waddell, is going to pray for one of them. Steve uh, is going to pray for one. Weber is going to pray for one. And then Phil will pray when we ordain Ted. But before we do that, I want to reiterate the vows. Ted will be saying yes to these for the first time as an elder. Ted Schwastik, he has served as a deacon before. The other men are already ordained elders, but we still ask them to affirm their vows before you. So let me read these vows that we take. Keep in mind, when we speak about the church, we speak about everybody in the church. Gentlemen, if you would affirm these statements before we pray for you. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments as originally given to be inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith in the catechisms of this church as containing a system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if at any time you find yourself out of accord with any of these fundamentals of our doctrine, that you will, on your own initiative, make known to your session this change which has taken place in your views since the taking of this ordination vow? Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? Okay. Do you accept the office of ruling elder in this church and promise faithfully to perform all the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has made you an officer? Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? And finally, do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, and unity and edification of the church? Church, I ask you if you would please show by the raising of your hand, if you are a member here in the church, a communing member, let me ask you this. Do you, the members of this church, acknowledge and receive these men as ruling elders? And do you promise to yield to them all the honor, encouragement, and obedience in the Lord to which this office, according to the word of God and the constitution of this church, entitles him? If so, would you please raise your hand? Those are the ones that you not only serve, but will support you. Upon that, I'm going to ask us to pray. And then after we pray for all of them, 
I will ask the elders to give a hand of fellowship, and then we will pronounce them. And so, Woody, if you would begin, please, you can either stand there or come up here. If you would take a moment and specifically just pray for Bruce. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, to whom we give all honor, grace, and, and worship, Lord, we thank you today for lifting up Bruce, and we ask you to lift him up, to bless him with your wisdom and your grace, Lord, we thank you, we thank you for bringing him to us to help in the leadership of this church. Lord, give him wisdom, give him humility, give him grace, give him patience as he comes into leadership here to honor the peace and purity of this church. Go forward as we grow in glorifying you, Lord, that above all things, he puts you first in the governance of this church. And this time I'm going to ask if Steve, if he would come, Steve Weber, our elder, he is going to pray for Larry. And specifically just pray, if you would, for Brother Larry. Dear Father, we thank you for your spirit to work in this man's heart for many, many years better understand of your love and your grace. We thank you that as a church we will be able to benefit from the work that you have done in his life. Help us to recognize him and recognize his leadership. Help us to support him. And I pray that you would put your hand of protection around him as, your, as the evil one constantly tries to attack each and every person who serves you and loves you. We thank you in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stay up here. Woody, I'm going to invite you back up if you would. If there are any other ordained elders in the church that would like to come up here, we're going to ask Ted if he would sit here. Ted is going to be ordained. This is the laying on of hands. And uh, I have asked Phil if he would take a moment, and you guys can gather around however you would like, and just the symbolism of touching and connecting, that we want to lay our hands on Ted as a welcoming into this fellowship of ordained ruling. And so if you would, Phil, pray for Ted. Our Father, we thank you for uh, ruling elder Ted Schwaston. And we pray that you would fill him with your spirit. Pray that you would give him uh, all knowledge and insight and wisdom to be able to serve you as an elder in the church be able to love and serve those who are in our congregation. Father, we pray that you would have a continually deepening understanding of who you are and redemption that is his in Christ Jesus through your word and spirit. And Father, that you would give him a closer walk with you as he continues to serve you in this life and in our church. I ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. At this time, we want to welcome all of our new elders into the fellowship of the church. Good to have you, brother. Good to have you. Good to have you. Now, before we continue, we still have a little left to do. I need to declare, men, is there up here? These men right here, please listen to me. I now promise and declare that these men have been regularly elected, ordained, and installed as ruling elders in the church, agreeable to the word of God, and according to the constitution of the Presbyterian Church in America, 
and that as such, they are entitled to all encouragement, honor, and obedience in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Now I've asked Pastor Nick if he would give a charge to both the congregation, and then we will continue after prayer. So first my charge is to you, the congregation. It comes from Hebrews 13, 17. God's word says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will, give, who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So my charge to you, brothers and sisters, is to pray for these new officers and pray for all of us as elders. When they reach out to you in conversation, with a handshake, with a phone call, with a text, respond to them. They'll make their job harder. They want to get to know you. They're praying for you, and they want to do a good job. I just want to remind you that God has given them to you for your good. And to the elders, I'm reading from 1 Timothy 4.16. God's word says this, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So God's word says that you are responsible for yourself and for your teaching. As Pastor Jerry said, not all of you are teaching all the time, certainly not preaching like we are or we do often. Some of you do, and all of you are listening to the preaching and teaching all the time. So we're to watch over our teaching and the teaching of others. But the call is to persevere, not just to do this one time and be faithful, but to continue in it. And why? Because the stakes are incredibly high, as well as the rewards. God bless you, brothers. Welcome. And I want to say one more prayer before we, we continue in worship. Thank you for the installation, Lord, of these, these men to the office of elder. Lord, bless them and help them. And bless us all as we continue in worship in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Seated for a moment. I'm going to ask if our servers would please come up so that we can begin to hand out. If you're here visiting with us, we would like to invite you to be a part. We do have bread that we'll be passing out throughout the congregation, and there are also some packages that are inside as well, so that if you are not able to take the bread, I believe those are rice pieces that you're able to take. And as you guys pass, go ahead, you may start passing those out. While they're passing those out, in just a moment, if you would turn in your hymn books to page 845, we'll be sharing together the Apostles' Creed as we confess our faith together. And uh, as they're passing that out and sharing it together, let me again remind you that Paul writes to us telling us that the Lord's Supper is the time that we come together to receive instructions. Here this morning as they're passing it out, let me remind you that if you're visiting with us, we do not take the Lord's Supper because we believe it saves us. We do not take the Lord's Supper because it somehow magically changes us. Those are decisions that are made throughout. We don't believe that within the elements that there is something hidden spiritually. Those are big fancy words called transubstantiation, when things change to become the body and blood, or within hidden consubstantiation, if you're from a background of Lutheran. But what we do believe is that it's more than just a symbol. For those of us who have faith, we can spiritually feed on Jesus Christ. Our faith can be strengthened. That this morning when you leave this place, you can actually say, spiritually, I've been drawn to Jesus Christ to feed on him. We all have burdens. We all have fears. We all have situations we have to face. 
and I can't think of anything else in our past for many years that we could come to the Lord's table every Sunday, not because we're sinless, not because we're perfect, but we come to feed on the one who strengthens us, nourishes us, and enables us to leave this place and be a witness. Go ye therefore and make disciples. To do that, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit and you must be feeding upon Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you gave your only son for us, that you demonstrated your love to us while we were sinners. Lord, that you took away that punishment of sin, which is called death, and you've restored us back to life to let us be living sacrifices used daily for you. Bless us as we share, Father. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we take, it does say here that it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so he took the bread, he broke it, and he said, This is my body broken for you. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Let's eat. As they're passing out the bread or the drink, I was about to tell you that the outside circle was juice and the inside circle was wine. But that's not this church. <laughs> but I did see a bunch of hands go, yeah, right here. And it's all juice that's there today. If you'll open your hymn book, if you need the Apostles' Creed while they're passing this out, if you would please take a moment and let's confess together. We take the Lord's Supper because we proclaim Christ until he comes again. What is it that we proclaim? We'll proclaim the truths that have been handed down to us for centuries. It has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If you would, help me out on the Apostles' Creed Church I ask you here as we prepare to partake, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. Let's take. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you. We ask that you bless us, prepare us, and help us serve you as we leave this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. If you'll receive the benediction, let me read it from Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.